If you open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 19, and if you're visiting, there are sermon notes. So Revelation, chapter 19, verse 1, is we're back in the study of the book of Revelation that we started studying oh, last year. And we came back to the study last week while many of the people were on the youth retreat. And I wanted to do a little recap of that study for them because as we come back and we can get this... Are we going to get it up? The, the um, study is a jet tour of the book of Revelation. And as we have looked at the book of Revelation, obviously we haven't been <coughs> going through word by word, verse by verse. It's more of a like, jet tour. That's why the jets are up there. But the reality of it is, is I still try to talk about every verse as we go through this. And as we come to our study today... I want to do something that I think is very interesting. It's not a topical message, but it is a background to try to get you to really grasp the understanding of chapter 19. And chapter 19 is, I'm going to say this, one of the most important chapters in all the Bible. And you'll you'll see that because it deals with the return of Jesus Christ to earth. And as you're in Revelation chapter 19, verse 1, it says, After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah. And what we said is that that was the fourfold hallelujah. We'll talk more about that in a bit. But let me ask you three odd questions. All right? Three odd questions. Number one, would any of you eat off the bottom of your feet after walking around all day. Whether it's your bare feet or your shoes. All right, you can all look at your shoes right now. Okay? And think about, would you eat off the bottom of your shoes? Would you eat off the bottom of your shoes if you walked in mud? Would you eat off the, off the bottom of your shoes if you walked in my backyard? Why is my backyard so unique? Because I have two dogs, and you can all piece it together. Okay? Number two. Have you ever been kicked out of a party? Okay. In the sense, like, you're not allowed to come. Um, have you ever not been allowed to come to a wedding? Um, for me, very, very hurtful. One of the most hurtful times of my entire life. A relative in our family said Becky and I can't, couldn't come to their wedding. And I know that somebody in our church <laughs> during the whole COVID had one of those where, hey, we're having a wedding, now we're COVID, the list has been reduced, and you're out, all right? So, that, very hurtful. So, think about it. Have you ever been excluded from a wedding, an event? Number three, in the worst injury of your life, what body armor do you wish you would have had on? What body armor do you wish you would have had on? And where this comes from is we've all had different things happen to us, accidents. Back in 19, to the best I can figure out, 1968, 1969, August 25th, 3 p.m. in the afternoon, I have my brand new bike, and it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and it's rained all day. And I've decided I can finally ride my new bike, and I go out at three o'clock, four o'clock, because my birthday's the next day. I've just been given a brand new bike, and I 
go on the grass, and then I go onto the pavement, and I fall head first, and I bite the pavement, and I chip my two front teeth, and it's been pain ever since. 20,000, no, 30, 40,000 dollars. Hours, 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 hours in the dentist office. How I wish, more than anything, I would never went out that afternoon. Wouldn't it have been great if the moment I was going over my, my um, handlebars, a helmet would have magically appeared and boom, I would have bounced off and no big deal. And maybe some of you have someone like I do. I have a relative, my brother-in-law, was killed by a drunk driver. And it would have been really good as my relative, my brother-in-law was just walking along and as the drunk driver didn't see him walking across the street, that instantaneously, just before he got hit, it would have been great if all of a sudden some body armor would have sensed, hey, we need to inflate, boom, it inflated, the car hits him, he bounces, and he would have survived. I don't know if any of you have been in car accidents, any of you have had someone that goes through a trauma, but think about it. What kind of body armor would you like to have on or have available? So with all of that in mind, you turn to Revelation chapter 19, and if you were not here, remember I said that this is a book that is easily understandable. And we said that this is a book that has an outline in chapter one, verse 19, about what John the author has seen what is, what will be. And the majority of the book is about the future. It is all about this revelation, this unveiling of Jesus Christ. Remember, chapter one, verse one, is the unveiling, the revelation of Jesus. And how we are looking forward to when Jesus rules and reigns on the earth. It's not revelations, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what this book is all about. And it's a book that we have said that if you read it, you are blessed. Chapter one, verse three. A book is a book that can be understood. It has that easy to understand outline. And we have said over and over the reason so many churches do not teach this is because they throw out that it is apocalyptic literature, which is just a fancy way of saying that it is dealing about end times and it's just too hard to understand. Listen, I can't emphasize enough. You read the book of Revelation using the same study principles, hermeneutics, which is the big word, the reading principles that you do for every other book of the Bible. All this book is is a book that is on steroids so that when you go from passage to passage to passage, you end up finding locusts that are these weird beings that are going to be on the earth, but we've never seen anything like this. So John has used that imagery so that we can then relate to locusts that we know, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they were actually physical locusts. But when John uses numbers like 12,000 or 1,000, we understand those numbers are literal. And when he wanted to talk about an innumerable number, he talked about an innumerable number. And all of that to say is, when we come to this Bible book, we said that there were over like 500 allusions to the Old Testament in this book, even though there's not one quote and, uh, directly from the Old Testament. 
And the reason I, I'm telling you this again today is because in our study, the book of Revelation is one that pulls the Old Testament together like never before. I'm going to show you today how the book of Revelation also, this is why I never thought about it, it pulls the New Testament together like never before. And that's what I want you to grasp. And, and, and as we go through this book, we can understand it. We can understand that this, um, yeah. We can understand that it's an understandable timeline. And, and, and I've given this to you, and if, if you haven't gotten this chart already, call me, ask me, email me, however you want to get it. We'll get this to you. Look, I know that people get confused with charts and timelines, but the book of Revelation really falls out to a real simple um, breakdown of the seal, trumpet, and bull judgments that are all part of of this seven-year period that occurs right here. And as we come to this line right here, the return of Jesus Christ, that's chapter 19. And, and what we see is that, that when John says, look at verse one, after these things, after these things, I heard something like a voice of a great multitude of heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. What John is all ex- is recording is the excitement over the fact that the end of evil has come. You catch that? It, and what has occurred is, as we talked about in the outline, the seal judgments, trumpet judgments, bull judgments. Seal judgments, one-fourth of the world dies. Trumpet judgments, one-third of the world dies. Bull judgments, one-fourth of the world dies. I mean, all, every unbeliever dies everyone's an unbeliever dies and chapter 16 dealt with those bold judgments we don't know how long those bold judgments those final ones take place over they are called bold judgments because it's like god has taken a bowl if you had like a bowl of soup or a bowl of cereal and you dump the whole thing that's why it's called a bowl all right And, and the sense is what i want you to recognize what i want you to recognize is that when we came to chapter 16, if you'll just look there real quick, it, when, the, when the seventh angel poured out his bowl, verse 17, and verse 18 says there, are, there's the, there is the um, lightning and the sounds and the peals of thunder, and the great city was, put, was split in three parts, and the nations fell, and all of that's occurring. What that is, is the beginning description of the battle of armageddon you follow that because we have already said in verse 13 that the armies have all come together to armageddon look at verse 16 and they gather them together to the place which is in hebrew is called armageddon and a friend of mine is there was just there last week and he sent a picture on facebook of the plain of armageddon as napoleon said it's the world's greatest battlefield And it was just a great reminder for me that the whole world is going to gather there. What you need to realize as we're studying, as John records in sequence these events that are being pictured to him, chapter 17 and 18 talk about the destruction of of the Babylonian harlot, but the entire battle of Armageddon doesn't finish until chapter 19. Look it over, look it over, go back to chapter 19, and... Verse 17, it says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds 
which fly in midheaven, come assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of the mighty men and the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, small and great. This is where the battle of Armageddon finishes up. So it's kind of interesting. You know, a lot of times I don't know if people grasp the graph, the, the, the distance there. Now, <clears throat> as we come to chapter 19, what we're talking about here is one of the top three greatest events ever. And, and this is something that you need to really get your arms around. Why it is not hyperbole when I say chapter 19 is dealing with one of the greatest events in all of human history. We all have great events. When our children are born, when we get married, when some great event happens in our life, maybe we graduate from school, high school, college. But that's individual. For all of humanity, these are the three top events. And anyone who wants to argue with me, I'd love to have the argument. Number one, the birth of Jesus Christ. Number two, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that we have holidays that honor these two dates? But the third is this, the return of Jesus Christ to earth. That's what's in chapter 19. That's what this is event. You wish we had a holiday for this one, okay? All right? The return of Jesus Christ to earth. So what we saw in chapter, one versus, I mean, chapter 19, 1 to 6, is what is called the fourfold hallelujah. The word hallelujah is a, an expression of praise. And I would have thought hallelujah would have all been all through the Old Testament, New Testament. But it's not. The only time that we get hallelujah in the New Testament is right here. Look at verse 1. Hallelujah, salvation and glory belong to our God. Verse three, and the second time they said, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. Then verse four, amen, hallelujah. At the end of verse four, where the 24 elders and the creatures cry out, amen, hallelujah. And then all the way down at the end of verse six, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty, the omnipotent one reigns. And we went through this detail and I pulled this out that John MacArthur did an incredible job of talking about what are the benefits that we get that are noted in these hallelujahs. The deliverance for the enemies and the meeting out of justice and the permanent crushing of enemies. And I want you to grasp even in a more deeper way why this is so significant. And, and, and I think that what I'd like to do, why I want you to see this joy should be absolutely overwhelming, is I want to give you three benefits that you get. And, and to get you to really understand these benefits that we get, go back in your Bibles to John chapter 13. Because as I've shared before, John 13 through 17 is one of the greatest series of passages of scripture where we get at a long discourse about Jesus and him talking. It picks up a little bit in 13, but by 14, Jesus is talking 14, 15, 16, 17. This is all the last night of Christ's life. And think about it. If you were going to leave and you were going to go away and you had something really special to say to your spouse or your children 
what would you tell them? What would you want to convey? These things that we see in chapter 13, I'm going to pull out three of the most important things that I'm hoping will be life-changing today for you. So when we come to chapter 13, we see it says, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, he, he's going to die within just hours, maybe 12 hours or less, he's going to be on that cross. All right? And then the, 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 the devils come in to Judas's heart. He's going to be betrayed. Judas is left. And we pick up in verse 5, okay? Well, I'll pick up in verse 3, first of all. Jesus, knowing the Father had given him all things in his hands, and they had come forth from God and was going back to God, um, got up from the supper, laid aside his garments, and, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Now, I'm excited because I've been in this room, all right? I've been here. Carl's laid down on the ground. <laughs> I remember laying there. Yeah, that was great. Becky's been there with me. Some of you have been in this room. It is, it's fascinating. You know what's right below it? David's tomb. I thought that was fascinating. David, David's tomb. He pours out the water, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. And what Peter says is, no, 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 if, if you don't wash, if, 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 if Jesus responds to Peter, says, if I do not wash you, verse 8, you have no part of me. Verse 10, Jesus says, he was bathed, needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. Not all of you are clean. And so um, what, he then goes on to talk about how basically this metaphor speaks of the dirt that they're going to have on them, even though they are clean. How are they clean? They are clean spiritually. These guys are born again, but where are they going to get dirt? They're going to get dirt on their feet. What's the big deal? Dirt is a metaphor for sin. Dirt is a metaphor for sin. And what I want you to understand is it, it pictures the fact that when we're in on this earth, that we will have at times dirty feet, meaning we'll get mud on it, we'll get poop on them, we will come to places where we will feel like we have this dirt and we just can't get rid of it. And how many of you ever walked in dirt and then mud or dog doo-doo and you track it into the house? Don't you hate it? Absolutely, we all do. The more dogs you have, the more you hate it. We all wish that we had clean feet. And if you can't take your shoes off, how frustrating is that? What I want you to grasp and I want you to understand is when we finally get to heaven, we get clean feet. We will never have to interact with dirt again. When Jesus Christ comes back, we will have, we will have a world in which we will not walk in dirt anymore. When I had that chart there and I said it's the return of Christ, the next phase is the thousand years and after that is the eternity. I want you who have been Christians for a long time to think about this. The reason this imagery is here, you can't see it that well, is that as a person just standing with the streets of gold. Many of you have heard about the streets of gold and some of you have even commented to me, it is not your incentive to get to heaven. Are we correct? I don't, streets of gold. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's nice, streets of gold, but I want Jesus, right? 
I want you to start thinking about this. I want you to start thinking the reason Jesus references streets of gold, why the New Testament references streets of gold, if they would have said, and you're going to come to new streets and they're paved, think about that 2,000 years ago. They wouldn't have any clue what that meant. What, they would have, what we're understanding, and, and I get it that it may not be the direct inference, but the idea is, is that we will be in streets where there will be no dirt. And what a perfect metaphor. I can't tell you how important that is to me to no longer have to deal with sin. When we look at chapter 19 and we look at the reality that Jesus Christ is returned, I want you to realize your feet will no longer be dirty. That's exciting to me. And when, we, when I look at that and then I understand that, how can I apply it now? Number one, I want to watch where I walk now. There are times I get my feet dirty. And there are places that are more dirty than others. Don't walk there. There are places to go where you can get very dirty. Don't go there. Because we're in dirt now. And my excitement, my hallelujah, 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 will be that I will never have to deal with dirt again. When Jesus returns, the new body, the new world, everything begins as it all plays out. But in the meantime, I realize as Jesus washed the feet, I have to watch where I walk now. At the same time, I have to expect dirt to still get on me because I'm not in a perfect world. If I told you guys, go outside, never get dirt on your feet, my wife hates it when kids or I walk in the house and we bring in snow, we bring in slush, we bring in rain, we bring in mud, whatever. You hate it, but the reality of it is she needs to understand this is gonna happen. We We live in a world, and as I interact in this world, guess what? There are dirty people. And isn't it ironic that we have studied a passage where Jesus interacts in Luke 15 with the people who were dirty. He didn't try to jump in the dirt with them, but he interacted. And, and we need to realize we need to be willing to go by dirt now because people are there. That is where the people are. People are not coming to, they, they don't want to be in the streets of gold. If anybody read the newspaper today, I know that maybe people don't read papers today, but I told this in the Sunday school class, on the front page of the newspaper is a man who was given the gospel, and he, he's this new editorial writer that the newspaper has, and his entire article is about how somebody presented the gospel to him, and how basically how ridiculous it is. How dare anybody think that there's only one way to go to heaven? How dare anybody think that I need to be changed? You know, there are people who have died for billions of year, millions of years, and they, and they didn't hear this message. You're telling me I've got to hear it? You read that article, you can maybe find it online. Listen, this is a man that needs Christ. Pray for him. But I'm telling you, when we went through that study a couple weeks ago and we talked about in Luke 15 about the lost sheep, lost coin, the prodigal son, there was a, the purpose was that we need to realize we got to seek people out. And Jesus went and ate with these people. He recognized they're playing in the mud. And, and he yet got involved in their lives because he cared about them. So this whole clean feet imagery is so profound because I'm looking forward to when I will no longer deal with dirt, but now I've got to realize I got dirt all around me. Second, 
Go back to John if you're not there. Jesus is still ready to leave. So he says in verse 14, chapter, chapter 14, verse 1, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If I were not so, I would, not, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. So if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And, and, and as he goes through this chapter, he talks about the fact, the fact that he says in verse 16, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. And what happens is now when we become a believer, this Holy Spirit resides in us. This is what marks us different. When we come then down to verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And this whole section, which I'm not going to go through, 14, 15, 16, talks about our relationship with him. But in the meantime, the reality of it is, is there's the sense where we have the Holy Spirit, but we're not with Jesus right now. And we're going to go into this in our future studies. The reason I talked about a wedding is we're going to talk about Matthew 22, that in chapter 19, it talks about the wedding supper of the Lamb and the entire party that's going to take place. And we all can realize that in life right now, here's this party, this is what I best I could do. And there's this one person, he's not there. And it's not by accident that God talks about the imagery of a wedding, of a party, something that people could all relate to and not being able to be a part of that and the isolation that we feel. But when we become believers in Jesus Christ, we get included. We get to become part of the team. And what happens is now we're all together and we're, we have this relationship. We're, we have this relationship with the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus Christ finally comes back, it's all going to be realized. And we'll go into this more again, like I said, with the imagery of the wedding supper. But the, what we need to understand is this. We need to realize we're going to feel alone at times. But spend time with Jesus. It builds up your relationship. The relationship that will be in person when Jesus returns. But you need to also spend time with other believers because we're in a physical world and we're not perfect yet. We're not in the new millennium, nor are we in heaven yet. We are in a place where we're still in these bodies and at times you feel in this body all alone. When Jesus Christ comes back, it'll be perfect you'll always be in his presence you'll always be around believers and they will never feel like oh i'm not attached to part of them it's going to be at a perfect time it's not now revelation 19 when jesus returns then this becomes into fruition okay so here's the thing that we need to do we need to work hard at making sure others come to the party too Read ahead, look at Matthew 22. Look at the fact about the person that doesn't get to go to that wedding because they don't have the right clothes on, meaning they're not saved. That's what that's all about. The fact that, 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 that we're gonna see in Revelation 19, this wedding party going on. The only people who get to come are the people who are saved. 
And some of you feel like sometimes you feel all alone in the world. The reason you feel all alone in the world is you don't have Christ in you. Now, obviously believers can deal with that too, but the reality, the deep inside aloneness is because you don't know Jesus. And what happens is when you become a believer, you get that relationship and you start to spend time with him now. And that's why I'm trying to get you to read your Bibles and spend time in prayer because it is a relationship with Jesus. But other believers are there too. We'll go over to John 17. Jesus is continuing. We've talked about this, the high priestly prayer. He says in John 17, verse three, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And as he goes down through this passage, he recognizes he's praying for his disciples and he realizes he's gonna leave them. And, and he says in verse um, nine, I ask on their behalf, I don't ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you've given me for they are yours and everything that are mine are yours and yours are mine and I've been glorified in them. Verse 11, I'm no longer in the world and yet they themselves are in the world and I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name the name which you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. And basically the idea is protect them, God. Protect them. And the passage in the New Testament, which I don't have time to go into, is in Ephesians chapter six, where this concept of body armor comes in. And it's just a metaphor for the fact that God, in answer to this prayer, is protecting you. He is protecting you. And, 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 and there's the sense of the Holy Spirit's gonna protect you, that you're not gonna lose your salvation, you're gonna have this relationship, and everyone who's a believer in Jesus Christ is guaranteed to get into the wedding feast, the wedding party, the entire celebration, and to be with Jesus face to face. But here's what we gotta recognize. Right now, we need body armor. And I don't know if you can all see this, and, and the idea is, this is a soldier, and he's got the helmet on, he's got the, the, the body protection, and it's a bulletproof vest. You know, if we went around like this, if I would have had this when I was eight years old, I doubt I would have fallen off my bike and broke my tooth. Could have still fallen on the bike, I don't know how I would do it. If my brother-in-law had this on, it might have been different when he got hit with, by the car. Might have just done some bad da- some damage, but I don't know if he would have died. Why don't we all wear body armor today? Because it's cumbersome. It's too heavy. It's too hot. Ask anybody um, that that is in the military, police officer, wearing that body armor all day. It's heavy. My talks with people in the army, and they they have to wear these heavy outfits, and maybe go on hundred mile hikes or whatever. It's the reason they're doing this then is to practice because in the middle of war, you have to have the stamina, the strength, and the ability to do this. But you and I, woohoo! I don't know if anybody has any body armor today. But the reality of it is, is we do it because, look, we want to live body armor free. Guess what? Only in Revelation 19 do you get to be armor free. My challenge to you is this. When we get to Revelation 19, then there's no worries. But what you need to understand, 
when they're screaming, hallelujah, hallelujah. And remember I said back then that John MacArthur went through that list and one of the lists was, hey, there, there's no more enemies, no more, there's no more sin. That's when it ends. And, and I, I have been trying and begging you to understand you cannot go out of your house on a daily basis without your body armor. How many have you read Ephesians chapter six when it says, hey, put on the armor of God. Put on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the helmet of salvation. Have the sword of faith, the shield, you know, the faith, whatever those are. Have those on. Because every day you are in a battle. You are not in Revelation 19. You are in a spiritual battle every day. And if you foolishly go out every day without your armor on, you will be hurt. It's a guarantee. So this is what I want you to think about. Here's the application. Realize the need for armor now. Look at your schedule. Are you praying on a daily basis? Are you reading God's word on a daily basis? Because you are not armor free now. You cannot lay down the helmet, the shield, the swords. You may want to. You might just want to. I just frolic. But you can't frolic now because we are not in the no worry section. We are living in a day and age when it's a spiritual battle. Long for the days without armor. Isn't it interesting that Paul talks about the fact that those who are people who love the return of the Lord are going to get a special reward? All I can tell you is, look, when I was younger, I didn't have as... I didn't spend... I, I had clothes that, at the end of the day, all I wanted to do was be free of them. Put my sweatshirt on, terry cloth shirt or whatever it is that Becky made me throw away when we got married, but that's another subject. But look, look, sometimes I wake up and I say to myself, I gotta run, I gotta get out the door. But I think to myself, no, Michael, read your Bible. Don't forget, take time to pray. Why? Because I cannot drop my guard. I feel like I've done it too much in my life. I'm trying to get you to understand. So here we go. Just quickly, go back to Revelation 19. And, 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 and what I want you to see is when we come to verses 7 to 21, and, and I don't know if you can see all of this, but this, these are, this is a wedding party. These are the waffle bar, not a taco bar, Okay, wedding rehearsal, dinner ideas, all the planning for the wedding, the ceremony, and everything like this. Look at, look at verse seven. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. So this is after the hallelujahs, hallelujahs, for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And it was given for her to clothe herself in, in, in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. They are dressed. There's the question is, when does the actual ceremony take place? I believe it's taking place in heaven. This is the church. We'll get into this more next week. Verse nine, he says, then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. This is the celebration. And who are these people? I believe these are all the the believers that were outside the church. This is Moses. This is Noah. This is Daniel. These are the people who are going to be resurrected and the church is going to come back and it's going to be this incredible celebration. 
And so he says, then he said in verse 9, right, blessed are those who are invited to the married supper of the Lamb. And he said, these are true words of God. Why would he say these are true words? Because this is going to happen. This is going to happen. Then, and I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Basically, again, emphasizing this is true. This is true. This is true. What, you know, you always, I always make the comment, look, we're not to worship angels, right? My point is, and I want you to step back, digress, think about it. This guy sees an angel. John sees an angel, and it blows him away. He falls down, and he says, I got to worship you. And the angel says, listen, you think I'm cool? Wait till you see Jesus. That's what that's all about. You think I'm great? You think I'm amazing? I'm this sinless creature, but wait till you see Jesus. You're going to be with him forever. That's what this whole chapter is unfolding but it's beginning to tell us about something pretty ominous that there's this wedding and not everyone's getting in and the dinner's going to be kind of gross i wish sometimes i didn't make the imagery up i mean that i made the imagery up and you know i didn't have to say hey this is about people being killed and eaten and and i believe it's going to be literal we'll see that so the marriage supper preparations are described with incredible joy that's what you want to fill in your notes the idea is the marriage supper preparations are described. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you'll be there. And, and, and so my hope, my thoughts is, hey, you know, are we looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ? It is the third most important event in all of human history. And if you are, you have to remember, evil loses, evil people lose, our victory is assured. So are you going to be there? Are you someone that knows you're born again, that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Because those are the only people who have the righteous clothes to get into this wedding. The people that are going there, okay, live in peace today, live in holiness today, and serve God. Expect that your feet are going to get dirty because it's not until Jesus returns that we have no more dirt. Make sure that you'll be at the wedding feast. Go over the gospel. Make sure that you truly know that you're born again. Do you know, like right now, just ask yourself, do I know I'm born again? And if you don't, then do something. See me after service. See Carl after service. Don't leave here today without yourself knowing that you've committed to Jesus Christ. What do you got to commit to? That you want to give your life to Jesus. That that's what you're believing You've been in charge of your life. You're controlling life. You went out last night. You had fun. You did what you wanted. You didn't care that God says don't drink. You didn't care that God says don't lie. You didn't care that God says that don't this. But you just do what you want. And you woke up yesterday and you didn't care what God said. And you did that the last week and the week before that. But God is saying that's pretty evident. You don't care about me. And so when I return, I'm going to give you exactly what you want. You don't want to be with me. You don't want to be at my wedding. You don't want to be in my party. I'll give you exactly what you want. I'm going to let you be on your own. You're going to have a world without God. And if you think a world without God is fun, then you don't understand. That's why hell is described with the flames and the pain and the sorrow, because that is a world without God. You think you're in pain now. It is ramped up. It is on metal. It is on, it is on steroids. So... For us who are believers, we know that we have 
this inclusion already because there's a deep sense within us that we have this relationship with Jesus Christ and we know he said he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He said he'll return and then what, will, what was of faith will be of sight and we look forward to it. But in the meantime, we keep the armor on. We keep the armor on. And I'm asking you to be more faithful, to push it, to ramp it up because the battle is raging and our victory is guaranteed. But sadly, we still gotta keep fighting. And I wish the war was over. I wish the war was over, but it's not. Revelation 19 tells us about what happens when that war finally ends. And it's not even gonna be easy then because all these people die. But if you're an unbeliever in Jesus Christ, it's gonna be horrible for you. So make sure you get your life right today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to, to know the truth, what, where the world is going. The world, do not love the world nor the things of the world. Lust, for the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world, and the world is passing away. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. I pray, God, that there are, there's just a sense of joy within everyone who's a believer today sense of incredible joy. We look forward to screaming the hallelujahs. We look forward to being in the presence of, of Jesus. And I pray, God, that as we do, as we think about what's coming, God, that we are people that use our time, talent, and treasures wisely. And I pray, Father, that someone that's not been invited to the wedding that's here today will say, I need to get those wedding clothes that we're gonna talk about. I need to be invited. I wanna be included. And so I pray that you're working in their heart right now to turn them to come to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.